you know, after 40 years in the ministry, I think nothing can surprise me. Because I've been texted everything. I've been called everything. Well, that, that could be used a couple ways. Uh, but uh, that's true, too. Uh, a, a lot of things have gone on in my ministry. But this week, I got one that I was not prepared for. I get a phone call. One of my friends, he got arrested for stealing 40 sets of encyclopedias. Now, for those of you that are younger, that's Google on a printed page. And they put it in the book. All right. Just helping you guys out. And so I'm on my phone, on the phone with my friend. He's like, you, you know, you gotta bail me out. I said, I don't have to bail you out. We're having this long, long talk back and forth. And I said, what in the world were you thinking? He said, I can explain everything. <laughs> I can go back. I can. <laughs> So I have the privilege of starting our Christmas series, and I love, I love being able to go through this part of the, the Bible every year. Uh, but I'm going to use a verse this morning that I doubt many of you have ever even seen before. And I try to read through the Bible a couple times a year, um, never paid any attention to this verse. And a year ago, one of my friends posted this verse on Facebook by itself. And I was like, oh, it doesn't say that. And so I spent the last year trying to understand this verse, and I'm going to try to explain it to you today. Uh, we're going to do five S's for uh, for December. Uh, today we start with the star, and uh, Christmas Eve we'll be doing the stable. You see how we we did that? Just some really sharp stuff going on here. Um, but the star story actually starts in Numbers chapter 24. Now, what's interesting about this part of the Bible, you can get your Bibles open to that. It's written by Moses. And this story takes place about 1400 B.C. So 1400 years before Jesus, we have this story unfold. So the Israelites are still out in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And there's this story, and, I, and again, you have to ask God because every word in that book is his. It's all inspired, it's all perfect, it's all without error. But there's parts that are hard for me to grasp. Like sometimes he'll mention a guy's name, and it'll be, uh, this guy's name was Fred, and he did this, and that's it. That's everything we know. And then in this story, we get three chapters of one little time in a guy's life full of great detail and the prophet's name is Balaam now does anybody know what Balaam is known for Balaam has a talking donkey now this is where I love it when I'm working with evolutionists and atheists and they're like you believe in a talking donkey I said okay let's back this up you believe nothing created everything nothing created space nothing created uh, the brain that you have, nothing created your eye. And I have a God who, if he wants to make a donkey talk, can make him talk. I said, we are not the same. But if you read the story, here's what's going on. A king hires this prophet of God named Balaam, and he hires him specifically to curse Israel. Now, this will preach perhaps in today's modern society. It'll preach in our culture today in America. It'll preach with what's going on in the world today. Balaam tries everything to curse God's people. And every time he tries to curse Israel, God turns the story around and Israel gets blessed. But in one of those stories, the angel of the Lord shows up. 
Here's this massive angel with a drawn sword and the donkey knows he's dead. So the donkey falls down, the guy starts beating the donkey and the donkey starts talking saying, haven't I always been your donkey? Haven't I always been faithful? And why would you treat me like this? And uh, the crazy thing is Balaam goes right ahead and dialogues with the donkey. So apparently it didn't bother Balaam as much as it bothers us. Now what's interesting is in Second Peter... The Apostle Peter quotes this story. In Jude, Jesus' half-brother, Jude quotes this story. In Revelation, John the Apostle quotes this story. So apparently, Peter, Jude, and John all believed that this story was indeed true. And all of their statements are a warning not to be like Balaam. What what does that mean? It says not to fall into Balaam's air. Don't fall into the air of trying to condemn God's people because you will lose every time. Now that'll work whether you're talking about Israel. It'll work whether you're talking about the church. But you cannot fight against God. That's the the statement no no matter how you try to lay it out. So... The story ends, however, in the middle of all these times he's tried to curse Israel, a blessing comes out of his mouth. And it's one verse. Now listen to me. One word from God is worth celebrating. Would you agree with that? One word is worth standing for and celebrating. We're going to read one verse. Stand with me because his word deserves it. Here's the last thing. Balaam is told to curse them one more time. And here's what he says. I see him. He's talking about the Messiah. This is 1,400 years before Jesus. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but he's not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. You can be seated. A star will rise, and a scepter is what a king holds. And then he goes on to talk about what the king will do. Now, let me take you through a little bit of history here. And you can fall asleep if you want to. And I'll bring you back to later. But in, in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem because Israel has been totally disobedient to God. And they've been warned by the prophets. Jeremiah's been preaching. Uh, All the minor prophets. Isaiah's been preaching to them. Nobody will listen. Ezekiel's preaching. Nobody will hear a word the prophets say. So God sends Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar levels Jerusalem. Takes everybody captive. Daniel, Meshach, Abednego. They all go. Esther. They all end up in Babylon. Which later will become Persia. Um... And then the rebellion continues, and so in 697, 705, 697, uh, he comes back, and in 697, Nebuchadnezzar leaves nothing. He is so angry, he kills everybody, destroys what little bit is left, and literally Jerusalem is left just a heap of burning ruins when he leaves. But here's what happens. The people, the Jewish people are in what they call the diaspora. They're scattered. They are scattered. They're in Babylon. They're in Persia. But they will 
move. They will move to places like modern day. They'll move to Turkmenistan. They will move to Afghanistan. They will move to Pakistan. They will, they will move to Jordan. The Jewish people scatter out all across Asia during this time. They're in captivity to Babylon and in Persia with Esther, but then they will spread out. Now this is important to understand the context because during this 1400 years, they know that when Messiah comes, how's he going to come? There's going to be a star out of Jacob. Now, this is important because you and I, and some of you know the Bible pretty well, but none of us know it like Jewish people know it. They know it forwards, backwards, sideways, diagonally, and they knew the prophecies. They knew exactly what to expect when the Messiah came. And there was going to be a star that would come out of Jacob for 1,400 years. Now, we get to Matthew 2 and it talks about the Magi, the wise men. You have them under your Christmas tree, all three of them, yes? If you Google the wise men, you'll even get names all made up. So there's so much going on here. Okay, King Herod is ruling in Israel. And they call him Herod the Great, Herod the Evil. Herod was one of the most horrible men ever to live on earth. He didn't like you, he killed you. If you were his son, he killed you. If you were his wife, he killed you. Um, friends, family, didn't matter. He killed everybody. And he stole everything. He's got like eight palaces. And I mean, I don't mean something small. He's got like eight palaces scattered around Israel just to be in the right weather at the right time. He is one evil, evil man. And he's hated. Nobody's ever been hated in Israel more than Herod the Great. And it's Herod that makes the proclamation that every two-year-old child and under should be killed. Because he's found out when Jesus was born and to take you there today to Bethlehem and we go underneath the church and I will show you a pile of fossilized bones that are 2,000 years old of two-year-old boys. We know exactly where those boys were buried. That's how real uh, history and archaeology are. So I tell you that about Herod so that you understand that three guys riding in on a camel would not have intimidated Herod. He'd have just had them killed. Why would he care? But there weren't three. I'm going to postulate, but there were hundreds, maybe there were thousands that came. We make that assessment because they bought gold, silver, and frankincense, okay, or myrrh, and whatever, you know, you know the story. But that's not the deal. So where did they come from? Well, people are like, oh, they must have come from here. Oh, how about this? They came from Persia, Iran. They came from Iraq. They came from China. They came from Afghanistan. Because the star that they saw, they saw the star rise in Jacob. It's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. And for two years, they gather up all their stuff and they start traveling. And they meet each other on the road. And by the time Jesus is two, this huge entourage has rolled into Jerusalem. And Herod's scared. Because they come in and say, where is the king of the Jews? I will promise you, three guys on a camel would never have got a hearing with King Herod. But this huge group of men come in. 
because they were all Jewish people who had been scattered all over Asia and the eastern part. And they all knew what? They knew that prophecy that when Messiah comes, there will be a star in Jacob. Now, 6,000 years, that's when I think God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe it's longer than that, it's okay. Either way, God had to put the star in place thousands of years so that it would shine at just the right second when Jesus was born. Galatians 4.4 says, at just the right time, Jesus came into the world. Now, what's interesting is I went back and double-checked. Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels, right? Those three don't mention the star. Only Matthew talks about the star. Why? That's a good question. Because Mark, Luke, and John are all writing to Gentiles, all writing to people like us. They're writing to Greeks. They're writing to Romans. Just give me the facts. Because they wouldn't have known the Hebrew Scripture. Matthew is writing to Jewish people. So Matthew says in chapter 2, verse 2, they came because they saw the star. So they get to Jerusalem and the star is now gone. And it says that, again, God made the star show up. I don't know how he did that, but here's what I can tell you. Somebody said this to me last night. It proves that God will move heaven and earth to get you to see his son and the salvation that Jesus has worked for each one of us. That's how much God loves us. He's got the whole system working. Psalm 19.1, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Maybe it's more than just stepping back and going, wow. Of course, the world steals that with evolution and atheism. But wow, God, look at your amazing creation. But what if all of it is still telling one story? Even the stars are telling us one story about Jesus. It's all about his coming. It's all about his first coming, his second coming. The whole of the universe is about him. It says in Matthew, Jesus says, there are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of the Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than sparrows. You see, God's in charge of the heavens. He's in charge of the earth. And he's well aware of what you and I are dealing with. He's well aware of your hurts, your problems, your struggles, my hurts, my struggles. And he's not left us abandoned. But he wants us to see that he's running a much higher program than we can imagine. And it explains why everybody was so excited, why they're singing, why there's all this proclamation. Because they had waited for 1,400 years for a star to, su- to shine. <clears throat> They've been watching the heavens every night for the fulfillment of this scripture. And it tells us that God's in charge of the heavens. But he's also in charge of what's going on here on earth. Now sometimes that's hard. When you look at the pain, the suffering, the difficulty. But God's still working his plan. Even through a divorce. Even through grief. Even through loss that you're facing right now. Whatever it is, 
God is not wasting any of this story in your life. God's still putting all of these pieces together. And if you have any doubt, listen to what Paul wrote. This may be the most complex sentence ever put together. Paul says, for by him, he's talking about Jesus. For by Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus was before, after, during, here, there, visible, invisible. Whatever's going on, Jesus is still in charge of it. So maybe, just maybe, if you and I would step back just enough to let God have a chance to work. Doesn't mean we're not doing something, but instead of trying to be God and taking his role in things, that we would actually step back and trust him. Now, Patrick Mahomes is a big story in Kansas City, and well, he should be, and you should all be Chiefs fans, but um, I love this picture of Patrick. Every game, long before anybody else shows up when they're out practicing, Patrick starts by going to the post and praying. Now, is Patrick perfect? He's certainly not. But when I look at this, it reminds me of what we're supposed to be doing. God, it's not about football. God, it's not about me. This is about something far bigger than me. It's something that you want to do with me, through me, in my life. So God is running the heavens. God is running the earth. But he's also running eternity. And it amazes me, and I watch lots of interviews. I I actually watch a lot of these TikTok videos on college campuses where people want to argue about religion. And, uh, why, well, why can't Buddha save? Why can't, why can't Hinduism save? Why can't Islam save? Why is Christianity so exclusive? And really the answer is if you're in the middle of the ocean and I throw you a blue life preserver, Are you going to throw it back and say, I wish it was white? No, you're going to grab it. You're going to say, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Are you going to complain about who throws it to you? No, get somebody taller to throw it to me. But we live in a world where people complain because they don't get to decide salvation. It never was our job. And somebody asked me this question this week. They said, what's the difference between Christianity and every other religion? I said, it's one word, very simple, hope. No other, no, no other group offers hope. There's no heaven. There's no forgiveness of sin. There's no world after this one. There's no blessing of being with God. Nobody else offers that. So... I don't know who's here that needs Jesus or if you're online or you're at the land and you need to accept Jesus. You've already seen baptisms here at the Ormond campus. If you need to accept Jesus, repent, be baptized. Room three, we have people here. Uh, Deland, you go see Ryan. He will take care of you. Online, hit a button. I've, I've decided people will be there to help you. But the one thing that this tells me is if God's in charge of the stars and he's in charge of the earth, then... He's most certainly in charge of eternity. And I think that's what most people are afraid of. If I admit there's a God, if I admit that your Jesus is God, I got to change my life. Yeah, you probably do. We all do. But you accept Jesus first and let him do the cleaning. 
People think, well, I have to get myself right first. Well, you're not going to get yourself right. Some of us have been Christians for 50 years and we're nowhere close to being right. Can I get an amen? amen? But you accept Jesus and his salvation and his forgiveness and then you let him take care of the rest. But so many people are, are just afraid of dying. Here's a picture of a professor and I forgot his name. But this guy's afraid of dying. So he takes like 800 different vitamins that he's created his own regimen. He's trying to reverse aging because he's afraid to die. He wants to, to live forever. And I'm like, dude, there's a way. But you, know, you could take all those vitamins, still get hit by a boss, right? Just the, you know, these are the things that, this is why I don't go to the gym very much because, you know, I, I've already thought my way through this story, but, um, Let me finish, let me finish with this. And I don't say this to make light of things. I, I say it to get your attention. Um, last week, Pastor Cord did an incredible message on Genesis 50, verse 20, where he talked about what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That sometimes God's got far more going on than we can ever imagine. And I was texting him, uh, telling him what a great job he did. But, um, I was doing a wedding in Pearson. And uh, Eloisa Ortiz, who's our Spanish pastor here at the church, uh, Eloisa was getting married. And, and it, I was honored to be there. It was the first time I'd ever done a bilingual wedding. And uh, there was like one other person there that spoke English. And so I would, do, I would say it and the, the translator would, would say it in Spanish. And sometimes they'd get confused and sometimes I'd get confused. And, but we got, we got them married. It went well. And uh, then we got ready for the reception. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been to a Latin wedding reception, but it is party on, okay? I'm like, this is worth whatever I had to go through to get to the food that's about to happen. So I'm in the back, and I, and I take a picture. Uh, this might look like juice to you. That would be incorrect. Those are all hot sauces. Now, everything's going fine because I've got an interpreter until I sit down at the reception table. Everybody speaks Spanish, and let's just say I don't. And I'm watching because I've got this incredible food in front of me, and I just want a little bit of sauce. So in my own fluent way, which my children will attest, I said, are you ready for this? Caliente. Come on with my bad self. Now, it never occurred to me, does he think I want caliente or I don't want caliente? That came to me later. So he's talking. I don't know what he's saying. I'm asking questions. He has no clue what I'm saying. And so I watch, and he goes for this sauce, A. So I went for sauce B, thinking. A few minutes later, my lips are melting into the plate. My forehead burst out in sweat. And this is the honest truth. This is the thought that went through my head. I can't go to hell. I can't even eat Mexican food. <laughs> now... I say that because people make light of, oh, I'm going to go to hell and I'll rule things down there. You should read what it says. Jesus says there's no water. It's fire all the time. 
it's a horrible place. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't make it a minute. Nobody will make it a minute. My job, your job as Christians in this community is to help rescue as many people as we can. That's, what, that's why we're here. Because we don't want anybody to go to hell. So I'm going to pray. And I want you to think about, even maybe you need to accept Jesus, but also pray for family and friends, people you're going to talk to for Christmas. That you know right now they're headed to the wrong place. And you know they won't survive there. So Father, as we finish, I'm grateful to know the star maker. I get to talk to the star maker every night. I get to talk to the one who not only made it, but had a plan to put it at just the right place at just the right second. The one who had planned my rescue, our rescue from the very beginning. God, you are so beyond our understanding. But today we admit that you are the king. And that you are the creator of the heavens. And you are in charge of the universe. And that we surrender to you as Lord. So, Father, I don't know who needs what today, but, Lord, you speak. You speak to each heart. In Jesus' name, amen.